This is Rock Talk with Mitch LaFawn. Mitch LaFawn. Welcome to Rock Talk with Mitch LaFawn. And I, of course, am your host, Mitch LaFawn. And this is a very, very special episode for me. I am going to see KISS for the final time on August 16th, 2019 in Montreal. And for me, it all started on August 6th, 1979. KISS rolled in to the uh, Montreal Forum with uh, the band New England opening up. And I know Gary Shea is a friend of mine on Facebook. So Gary, uh, this is to you and, and Hirsch, by the way. And, uh, you know, I had never seen a show up until that point, and uh, there was this great excitement. Uh, I had discovered KISS, and, and I've told a lot of these stories a million times, so uh, do bear with me. But this is sort of a, well, we're going to call it an emotional moment, right? I mean, it, it's the end of something. Anyway, so KISS, uh, my, my, I'm sitting around uh, my house, which is out in the country, or my parents' house out in the country, and there's ABBA records and, and Beethoven records, and I'm listening to Beethoven's Fifth and Beethoven's Ninth and, and, and Dancing Queen. And then my brother has a friend. I believe his name was Ted Lipkin. Could be wrong. Probably not. And my brother borrows Kiss Love Gun and Kiss Double Platinum. And the shininess of Double Platinum was just incredibly spectacular, just... It, it was just shiny and, and beveled. Maybe beveled is not the right word, but you know what I mean. You could, you could touch it. It 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 was raised. You know, you could touch the lettering and you could touch it. Anyway, it was it was it was something to behold for a young kid. And then there was the the Love Gun album, and I think we all know what it looks like. That imagery, especially for. I don't know, I must have been eight, nine, ten years old. You, you just looked at that and you went, wow. And then you open it up or you pull out the uh, the vinyl and you see the blood dripping kiss lettering. And it's just like, whoa. You know, so you've got these larger than love. Anyway, gave those records a spin. Loved it. Uh, later on in 78, there's the kiss movie. And, and you know, by then I, I was in. I was buying the 16 magazines and the teen beats and anything, right? Uh, you know, uh, this was, uh, I guess, before Metal Edge and before uh, Metal Hammer and Kerrang! and stuff. This, it was Teen Beat and Tiger Beat and, and 16 magazine and Grooves. There was one called Grooves, I remember. Um, but uh, you would look at this Kiss stuff and the Kiss imagery and... and it, it sold you something, you know, you, you would flip through the pages and you'd see sort of a quirky cheap trick picture or, or, or a, a down and dirty Aerosmith picture. And then a lot of, a lot of Sean Cassidy and, and Leif Garrett. And, but okay, well, you, you would skip right by that. But, but then you would see the monsters, you know, you would see Kiss and, 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 and Gene and Peter and Paul and Ace and it, it, it would suck you in anyway. So August 1979 comes up. August August 6, 1979 comes up, and I go to this show, and New England comes out, and it was okay. And, you know, people were throwing toilet papers, and, and the room was just filled with smoke, because, of course, you could smoke in venues at those times, at that time. And and there was just something uh, very magical, but dangerous, of, of being there. And then Kiss came out, and you heard that sound. And if anybody saw the Dynasty Tour, you, you know what I was talking about. There, there was this, this sort of shaking sound, you know, whatever it was, before the band emerged from under the stage. And and it just captured the imagination. And anybody who saw Dynasty as their first Kiss show understands what I'm talking about. It, it, it captured your imagination and it never let it go. And um, I'm trying to think. There was a magazine, a little a fanzine at the time. I think it was called The Kiss Underground. Was that it? Uh, anyway, I, I subscribed. I sent my whatever it was, $3, $6, whatever it was. And they every four months or so or every three months, you know, quarterly, they, they would send you a little thing. And, and it would be Kiss has a new album. Anyway, so, so this was pre-internet, pre-news groups, pre-AOL, pre-dial-up. And you would get this fanzine, 
And it would say, new Kiss album coming in May. New Kiss album coming, you know, in 1979. Uh, so I, I, had, I had all this built up, and that's what led me to go to this concert. The Dynasty came out, and it was the greatest thing ever because it was the first Kiss album that I bought with my money or my dad's money or whoever my, whoever's money it was. But, you, you know, Love Gun was lying around and Dynasty was lying around. And oh, you know what? Actually, the, the, I, I'm going to be a little bit revisionist on this, but, well, eh, hmm. I know that I went to Plattsburgh, New York, to a record town, I believe it was called. And we bought the uh, the four Kiss solo albums uh, at the end of 78. But we, we had bought those. My, my dad and I had bought them for my brother. So I guess I was uh, technically, I guess they were the first albums. But Dynasty was the one that 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 was the first Kiss Kiss album, and and that just stuck with me. Anyway, I go see the show; it's the greatest thing ever. And here we are, forty years later, in twenty nineteen, August sixteenth. So ten days to the day of my first Kiss show will be the last Kiss show, and um, it, it's you, you know. It's sad, but it's also very exciting, the fact that I got to buy into a band that stuck around for so long. You know, imagine had I been a, a diehard New England fan. And I mean no disrespect to New England. I love the guys. The first album's great. But I would have gotten one or two albums and out. There would have been no more. Or had I been a diehard you know, the Knack fan, there would have been whatever it was, four albums and gone. So I lucked out by being a Kiss fan. Um, and I think I think many of you would agree that we, we lucked out. We got a band that grew up with us, that moved with us, that changed with us. And, and I know fans love to complain. Oh, what they took off the makeup. Oh, they didn't. Oh, they changed members. Oh, Paul is an inv- Vinny and oh, Tommy is not Ace and Ace is not Tommy and Bruce and oh, they should have kept the revenge lineup and oh. But you know what? In that span, we've done things that if you look back, you could criticize. You shouldn't have dated that person. That was the wrong girl for you. That was the wrong dude for you. You know, um, shouldn't have shouldn't have taken that job. Shouldn't have quit that job. Should have gone to school. You shouldn't have mastered in that. Hmm. Maybe sociology was a bad choice. You, you know, we, we can second guess everybody and everything. So, so to sit around and, and criticize a band that has given you enjoyment time after time for 40 years, can't we just appreciate it? And so we do. Anyway. Uh, and I know I'm rambling all over the place, but that's the kind of emotion that Kiss brings up. So we, we, we get back to June of 1980, June 9th, 1980. And I sit down with Gene Simmons at O'Coin Management. Now, folks always ask me, how did you get that interview? And, and remarkably, remarkably, it was simple. It was a phone call. Now, June 1980, I was 11 years old, and I had a great vocabulary. I had been tested in school, and, and they said I had a university-level uh, English proficiency. So I spoke well. And pre-internet, pre-Google, if you needed a phone number, there was a magical number called 555-1212. And you would put whatever area code in front of it, and you would be connected to the operator of that city, and they would give you whatever you need. So... I'm sitting around uh, in the house, bored, as I uh, often was. Uh, I lived in an area that had no public transit, had no stores. So after you came home from school, that was it. There were, I believe, if I'm not mistaken, four channels on TV. Two of them were in French, and the TV was black and white. So you really just stared at a wall or listened to Kiss or Cheap Trick or Aerosmith or, or whatever was lying around the house. And 
you know, I, like most of us, we would study the vinyls, we would study the words, we would study the, the imagery and conjure up stuff and, and, and try to draw the, the cover or try to write a new song. Or, and um, I noticed on the back of the cover, it said, Ocoin Management, New York, etc. So I called New York, 212-555-1212, Ocoin Management. And the operator said, sure, no problem. Gave me the phone number. And I phoned Ocoin Management and I said, hey, I would love to do an interview with KISS. And they said, okay. And they scheduled me to come and talk to Paul Stanley. And I'm like, oh, okay. Come to the office and talk to Paul Stanley. So I go tell my mom. I said, you won't believe this? And she didn't believe this? I said, I set up an interview with KISS. We're going to go down to New York, to Ocoin Management, and interview Paul Stanley. And she said, yes. <laughs> she said, yes, okay, we'll go. I mean, most of you, most, and, and even me, had I caught my mom maybe on a different day, if you went to your mom or your dad and said, we're going to New York to interview Gene Simmons, or Paul Stanley, they would have said, get that, get out of here. Get, pick, meh, go, go mow the lawn and leave me alone. Mom didn't do that. And before we're about to go, I got a call. Hey, speak to Mitch LaFon. This is me. Uh, we regret to inform you that uh, we're going to have to cancel your interview with Paul Stanley. Ugh, you're going to do what? We're going to cancel your interview with Paul Stanley. Oh, come on. Okay, I understand. They said, however, however, Gene Simmons will be available on that day. Would that be okay? Would that be okay? <laughs> well, listen, I'm a little disappointed, but if I got to go to, to, to plan B, uh, I'll... No, no, of course, of course that's okay anyway. And that's what happened. They canceled the Paul. And up until 2018, was it 2018, 2019? No, no. Up until 2018, I had never interviewed Paul Stanley. And in 2018, I got it done. Hey, hallelujah. Anyway, so the interview gets uh, done and I drive down. And the, the Unmasked album had just come out. And Peter Chris had just announced that he left. And... Uh, Eric Carr hadn't been announced. The Palladium show was still six weeks away or five weeks away, you know, July 25th. Now, I have to say that when I was an 11-year-old boy, I sounded more like a 30-year-old woman than a boy or even a child girl. And so they expected a woman to show up. So I said to my mom, listen, you're going to have to do the interview. Now, keep in mind, my mom was doing, uh, she was a professor but she was doing this stuff with Radio Denmark, where she was sort of the Canadian correspondent for Radio Denmark, the official broadcaster in Denmark. And she would use the Canadian broadcasting uh, studios to put together these pieces, which were whatever, three, four, five, sometimes 10 minutes or, or more. So we got dialed into the whole Canadian Broadcasting Corporation, the CBC, and for short, and we got to borrow the gear from the CBC and, and my mom went and, went and checked it out. And we drove down to New York City. And, and the reason I'm telling you this is because my mom now had to be the interview. She had to interview Jean, but she didn't know Kiss. She, I mean, she knew Kiss because she had bought me some, you know, the Kiss whatever, uh, kiss gum or whatever she was buying me at the time. It was By the way, was there ever a kiss gum? I guess there were the kiss tops baseball cards. I think that came with a slab of gum. But uh, she didn't know them really from a hole in the wall. And so I wrote all her questions. I wrote all her questions. And we get to Old Coin Management and we thought, well, you know what, we're just going to walk in together and we'll interview Gene. But no. We, we get there, the secretary greets us. They say, Gene will be out in a minute to come and get you. And uh, Gene walks out and he's wearing this, this brown leather jacket and there's no makeup. 
There's Gene Simmons, the demon, no makeup, looking very much like a hooligan. No, he doesn't. He didn't look like a hooligan. He, but but he was he was just normal Gene. And my mom says, "Oh, here's my son-in-law," and what whatever. I end up having to stay in the lobby, and my mom runs off. And a minute passes, and two minutes pass, and three minutes, and I'm just sitting in this lobby, going, "Oh, come on." And my mom emerges and says, come on in. And you'll hear on the tape, she said, hey, my son would like to ask you some questions. But I wasn't in the room at that time. And I get walked into this room at O'Coin Management and there were gold and platinum records everywhere. It was like wallpaper. It, it literally went from the floor to the ceiling. And Gene took great pleasure in pointing them out. Here's a gold record from whatever, you know, from France. And here's one from Sweden. There's a platinum record from, you know, Lithuania. And here's, here's a gold record from Switzerland. And there's a platinum record from, from, from Canada. And, 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 and it was just like, whoa. I mean, it's, it's an image burned into my mind, which is why I can still describe it to you today. And we do the interview. So, so on this episode... And man, am I rambling. Well, I'm not rambling. I'm telling you stories. Uh, you will hear that interview with Gene Simmons from June 9th, 1980 in full. And I am replaying this because I've posted it before. But it is my tribute to 40 years of live kiss. I have seen them, well, quite frankly, approximately 40 times might actually be my 40th KISS show, right? So in honor of August 6, 1979 to August 16th, 2019, 40 years of KISS giving it all. You wanted the best, you got the best. Damn right I did. Uh, I'm going to give you this interview, the first one I did with Gene Simmons at age 11. And then I'm going to put the old little... Uh, rock talk bumper it's going to be hey welcome back to rock talk and i'm not going to give you more more chit chat we're just going to go right in or maybe i'll give you some chit chat we'll see how i feel in in you know 20 minutes we're going to go right into the uh, i'm trying to think when it was i think it was june 2017 uh interview with gene where he was talking about the vault the vault box set which by the way i still don't have I guess it's, I, I guess I, I won't be getting a promo copy of that anytime soon. <laughs> anyway, uh, Gene uh, started talking about the vault, and that was the second interview with Gene, and uh, well, currently uh, the last. So you're going to get where. So this is all about my first show and the last show, and you're going to get the uh, first interview and last interview with Gene Simmons. Now, I have managed to interview everybody in the band or meet everybody, interview and or meet everybody in the man. Uh, at the Hot in the Shade tour, I got to meet Eric Carr. Uh, he wrote me a letter when I was a kid. I got to meet Bruce Kulig then, and um, Gene Simmons. Paul was not at the Hot in the Shade meet and greet in Montreal because he was sporting some rib injury. And then throughout throughout the years of doing the broadcast stuff, I've interviewed Bruce Kulik. Easily a dozen times. I've interviewed Eric Singer at least four or five times. Uh, Tommy Thayer once. Vinnie Vincent twice. Paul Stanley once. Eric, um, not not Eric, uh, who am I saying? Ace Fraley three times. Peter Chris once. Uh, I never interviewed Mark St. John, but I did meet him at a Toronto um, KISS convention. I was a vendor there. I was selling some stuff and... Uh, had a chance to meet him before the, the fans came in and had a chance to meet him after the fans came in. But of course, it was that day and age when nobody had cell phones that could take pictures and n- nobody usually ran around with a camera. So I don't have a picture of it, but I know what happened. Um, and, and actually, Bruce Kulik was also at that um, show. And, and, you know, funny enough, I do have a picture of me and Bruce from that show. And uh, we all went for a supper after that, Bruce went off with a, a young lady, and and I joined I, I joined them for supper, and then they they, they went off at night. Uh, a friend, by the way, a friend. 
not, I'm not trying to insinuate anything. Um, and, uh, you know, I've, I've then got to be in studio with, with Eric and, and Bruce. We did an Ace Fraley tribute album called Return of the Comet. Bruce came in and recorded the uh, song Liar with uh, Brent Fitz uh, on drums. This was before, was it before Union? Anyway, Brent Fitz was a completely unknown entity and he, he came in and did that. And then we did uh, Lover All I Can and uh, Strange Wave with um, Carl Cochran and uh, Eric Singer. And I have a great picture of Eric Singer from the studio that I keep here on my wall. So just a, a lot of great KISS memories over the year. And, um, boy, I'm, I'm just trying to think what, what comes, you know, out of all the shows I've seen, what would be the best one? Uh, you know, the 79 one was certainly uh, marking uh, being at the, uh, at the Palladium for Eric Carr's first uh, interview, or not interview, first uh, show, uh, July 25th, 1980. Uh, absolutely spectacular, a great memory. I mean, it was also my first show in New York City. Uh, so a big moment for me, you know, a little Montreal kid being in, in New York City for a big Kiss show. Uh, hmm, boy, what else? The reunion show at Tiger Stadium. Uh, you know, it was it was billed as the first Kiss show. Yeah, yeah and then they did the, the, the K-Rock stuff out in uh, Irvine Meadows in... And it sort of took a little bit of the shine off of being the first Kiss one, but it, it was the first real uh, long Kiss one. The, the, the Irvin Meadows shows, the, the K Rock, K R O Q, or whatever K Rock, whatever they were. Um, I think it was Croc, right? Anyway, they were mostly warm up gigs, and they did like you know ten songs rather than a full complement. Uh, for those people that were at that shows, they will, they will be, hey, I was at the first Kiss reunion show and hard to argue. Um, but anyway, Tiger Stadium was great and, and, and I saw 11 reunion shows or I think it was like nine reunion sh shows and two Lost City shows. But the, listen, it was, all, it was all reunion shows. Let's not, let, let's call a spade a spade. And that was spectacular. And um, the Hot in the Shade tour was great. Oh, Revenge. Uh, boy, if my, if my memory serves me right, it was October 5th, 1992, the revenge show in Montreal, that lineup, that show, that set list, you're getting uh, deuce and parasite and, and a whole bunch of songs that they hadn't played for a while, man, freaking awesome. That stuff was awesome. Um, wow. All right. Let's let's get into this. Here is well, you wanted the best, you got the best, the hottest interview subject in the land. Uh, well, here's Gene Simmons from June ninth, nineteen eighty. First up is my mom, Doctor Marianne Stenbeck, followed by, hi, it's Gene, it's Mitch Lafon. Um, enjoy. Here's Gene. Gene, I wanted to start off by asking you, your new record is is quite different from your old ones. What is it that has changed in the group to make this so different? Well, why do you think it's different? That's what I'm curious about. I have only heard it once yesterday. It seems more quiet, more mature. Um, well, it, I don't, it I don't know. It seems as if you're more interested in, in, in the words and in, in the message than just in... Well, we had some things to say this time, I think. Not that... Not that we didn't have things to say all these other times, but I think we, songs like Naked City, really talk about the kind of city that we live in, and uh, we have different perspectives, different viewpoints, I think. But also, what you have to consider is that you can be kissed for 15 albums, and then every once in a while you do something different. And uh, I think people will like it. I think that uh, the only criteria we ever use when we sit down to do an album is to record the best songs that we have right then and there. And so the only requirement, the only, uh, you want me to hold this? No, it's fine. Sure. And the only thing that we considered when we sat down was which were the best songs. That was it. We didn't think about the kind of songs they were, if they were fast or slow or loud. None of that was very important. It was just the best songs that we had. So what you hear is what we are like now. 
How long did it actually take you to cut this album? About two and a half months. Two and a half months of actually recording, when most of the albums took about, uh, oh, three weeks to a month and a half. Now, there's this new style in music. Does that also mean that you're going to have a new style in your, in your concert presentation? I'm not so sure that it's a new style in music. I mean, I, th I know that that's the way you hear it. But uh, there's nothing new in the instruments that we're playing or the way we're playing them. The songs may be a little bit different. In other words, we're still playing guitars. Mm -hmm. Gene Simmons is not all of a sudden playing organ or something. Uh, but no, this, this is just, you know, some more new songs. You know, when we recorded Beth, which was a, a violin-laden kind of song, or when we did Hard Luck Woman, which had a lot of acoustic guitars or other songs, uh, they were different songs, but they were still Kiss songs. And that didn't affect the stage show, except that uh, I hope we can take this show to Europe, but in the American show, crazy things happen. Ace's guitar flies out of his hands, and another guitar appears in his hands, and he shoots it out of the sky, and I fly up 60 feet into the air at 6 feet a second, and and land on top of the light truss, which is 60 feet overhead, and throw up on people's heads, and there's fire breathing, and the whole drum riser goes up 30 feet into the air and turns around 300. Have you seen the show in America? Yeah, I've seen it in Montreal. Yeah. Uh. So it's, uh, it's a pretty good show, I think. I think maybe it's the best show. It probably is the best show uh, around. Certainly it's the best rock show I have ever seen. Do you ever f get a feeling that people come to see you more for the sake of the show than for the sake of the music? Sure. I think that, uh, and I think that that's good, because I think when you buy a Kiss record, you only get the music. So whoever thinks that people are buying our records just because we play well live is missing the point. When you buy a Kiss record, you don't get any flash pods. The record doesn't levitate above the, <laughs> above the machine. There's nothing extra that you get except maybe some presents that we give you, you know, that we pay for, like posters or special things, maybe a special designed uh, record sleeve or something special, but that we pay for. So you get nothing except the songs. So we take it for granted that people that buy the albums like the songs. When you see a band live, you should get... 50% more than you get with an album. In other words, I don't just want to go see a band play their songs because I can stay home and just listen to the record. I hope that people come to see us live to see us more, of course. You can always hear the record at home. In fact, I would imagine that there are people, some people who never buy the records who have to see the show live because it's the best show around, of course. Do you think that that's the reason you're you're a number one? That you sort of you really give more show than anybody else? That you really give them something for their money? I think I think that may be true. I think uh, also the only people that can answer why we're so popular are the people that make us popular. You have to ask them why do you like Kiss? I can only tell you that it's my favorite band because it's <laughs> it's the one that's the most fun. Nobody ever takes themselves too seriously. Uh, it's just a lot of fun. It's, it's amazing to be able to walk into a toy store and see all these amazing toys, pinball machines. Did you see that machine? Oh, yes, 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 yes. It's amazing. I'm having the time of my life. Yes, I'm sure. I certainly have that impression that as a rock group, there are more sort of um, extra things growing up about your group than about any other group that I Anybody. can think of. In fact, yeah. we're even talking now about having a Kiss World, which is a traveling amusement park. That would oh, travel really? across what the country. What would that be like? Oh, you know, amazing rides, uh, just fireworks and big air balloons, 100-foot balloons that go up into the air and take people for rides and roller coasters and just anything that we can imagine that would involve the personalities of the band. And we're thinking of having an entranceway with these big 50-foot faces all forming together with the mouths open and you walk through the mouth you know, into the amusement park. But this is all in the future. And then, of course, there are the movies. We're planning two, two movies. Mm -hmm. There's a German company that's working with us on doing a cartoon show for America. It's just beginning. Uh, a cartoon where you would be the main characters, but you would appear in them as cartoons. Right, superhero okay. cartoons. And what would the other movie be? You said two movies. There's a science fiction movie with us as superheroes, you know, through space and through time and all the rest of that. And then there's a... a, a a kind of a movie that would follow that would follow us through Europe, and we'd bring along cameras. It would be about two girls who follow us all across Europe, trying to get pictures of us without our makeup. 
And in the meantime, there's uh, intrigue and spies and all the rest of that. I see. You also just talked before we started the interview about um, some robots you're going to introduce in your show. Could you just tell me something about sure. that? Sure. There's so many things that uh, are being worked on right now, it's a little bit hard to say, well, we'll do this and we'll do that. And everybody that's anybody that's ever seen all our shows knows that every show is different completely. The costume change and the songs change, and, and of course the show changes. Uh, but right now we're working on these puppets who are about uh, three and a half to four feet tall, Mm-hmm. that are completely uh, automized. In other words, we can control them from off stage, in the same way that you send, uh, in the same way that you can control those automatic planes that go through the air, you know, oh, that yeah. you can, same kind of process. And these talk and walk and they can play drums and play guitars. And maybe we'll have these little people, little kiss puppets go up on stage, play one song, mm-hmm. and then get off the stage and then have the real guys, you know, four times as big come out. Fine, just, just hang on a second. I unfortunately have tape, I think. It seems to... You know, it's funny. In Europe, everybody uses... Very, very fast. Um, I just have to turn it down, I think. What does Europe, people use in Europe? How long is your European tour going to last? Well, you know, we always get new pieces of paper every other week, but right now we've got a European tour that lasts about six and a half weeks. Mm-hmm. And then we come back to America for a week's rest, and then we go to Australia and Japan and New Zealand and Singapore, and I don't even know where else. And then we come back to America to do a Euro- uh, an American tour, and then we do the next album in the spring. Not this spring, next spring. So there's be no new album until next spring at all? There may be a Peter Chris solo album before that. I suppose the obvious question is to ask you, why did Peter leave? There's nothing too complicated about that. Uh, Peter, you know, has gotten remarried. Okay. He's got uh, a beautiful wife who's the copper tone girl, you know, the suntan girl. So all over America, there are these 50-foot uh, posters of her, you know, kind of leaning sideways, uh, advertising suntan lotion. But he's very happy, and he just doesn't want to tour. He doesn't want to go out and tour anymore. He wants to stay home and make little Peter Chris's with little drum sets, you know. <laughs> And we have to respect that. We all grew mm-hmm. up, uh, we worked together for this one concept. Everybody created it, and we have to respect his wishes. And we had a choice. The choice was uh, to quit, mm-hmm. you know, to break the band up because one member didn't want to tour, or to continue the concept. And we all sat down and talked about it with Peter, and Peter agreed that we should go on. Now, Peter is going to remain a member in the partnership. Mm-hmm. Nobody was fired, nobody quit. He's going to remember, remain a member in the partnership, and uh, he's going to record solo albums, and I don't think he wants to tour. And we're going to get a new member with a new new concept, new design. Has the new member been chosen? Yes. But you're not going to say? Not yet. Okay, well, that's fair enough. Um, you talked about this that you give more to your audience. And what we were really wanted very much to find out was why is it that that somehow you, more than any other group, has become not just a musical group, but almost an institution, a religion, a, a cult for millions and millions of people. Um, what is this sort of specific fantasy world that you think you have you've built up, if it is a fantasy world? I think you can answer it very simply. I think you can answer it with one word, fun. What I mean by that is you can... Uh, the reason we put out toys and the reason we get involved with that is because it's fun. I like toys. I don't do it for you or for anybody else. I want a pinball machine. So if I see a lunchbox, I like lunchboxes, and I want my face on them. Uh, we try to make everything that we do fun, from the stage show to the albums. When you buy the album, we really spend a lot of time and money in trying to make them as interesting looking as possible. And anything that we do, we try to have a good time with. I think, uh, I mean, it's the reason Superman or Santa Claus or any one of these big heroes are popular. It's because they're fun, because they don't tell you how to wear your hair, who to vote for, what kind of religion you should have. A performer shouldn't tell you that. And uh, we never try to tell anybody what to do. but yet you have been banned in a few places for, um, oh, they say devil worshipping or oh, yeah. some other silly things like that. How do you feel about that? 
It's unfortunate, but I think these people are misguided. It's a shame that they can't spend their time and their energy and their money on something more important, like getting food to poor people. Or, I mean, that's far more important. The amount of money that they spend on making sure that everybody thought that we were devil worshippers, they could help some people out. So I feel sorry for them. It's just it's unfortunate. But it's, not, it's nothing new. Beatle records were burned. Elvis was the devil, you know. That's okay. Do you feel, you, you don't feel at all that you're leading children astray, or you don't think there's any any background to that kind of uh, accusation? I mean, I don't feel so either. To where? I mean, so I mean they say, where? well, you know, to lead them to devil worshipping, or, oh, and they say all this blood and gore and so on, it's going to have a very negative effect on them. I think if anybody's going to have a an objection about the ban, I think you can simply turn on the television and then tell me which is gorier. You never saw anybody in KISS beat anybody up. And uh, we never tell you to do any one of those things. It's nothing. It's not what we're about. But I think anything that we will do, we're going to do for for uh, shocking purposes. You know, we'll do, yeah. we'll do almost anything to make the show interesting. But look, whenever anything gets popular, there are people who have nothing better to do with their time than to assault it. it. It doesn't mean, even Christmas, you know, even with uh, Christmas time, you've got a, a person in American literature, in English literature, whose name is Ebenezer Scrooge. Mm -hmm. And all he does is he says how terrible it is that everybody's having such a good time. Yeah. But the truth is, there's only one person having a bad time. So that's what our new album cover is about. There's always one idiot out there, you know, who doesn't, can't figure out why all the people are having a good time, but he's rotten. Oh, they're terrible, you know. You feel, by and large, you have uh, been treated fairly by the press, or oh, of not? course, no matter. Even the press that hates us, well, most press hate us. Uh, realize that you can't avoid us, and so they always print pictures of us and spell our name right. So I don't care what anybody says about us, as long as you print the pictures and spell our name right. That's fine. People will always decide what they like, no matter what anybody tells them. That's true. What do you think? If you, you say you're not trying to tell anybody anything in your songs, but do they have? some kind of message anyway that you would like to get across or is it just let's all have fun or is there something more there are no messages what is the message in circus when you go to see a circus mm -hmm. there are no messages hopefully it's entertaining but that nobody's telling you to do anything when somebody does a somersault or when somebody breathes fire there's no message the only purpose is to entertain you so you know the song titles that we've got are not leading. It doesn't say destroy the world. It doesn't say go do this or go do that. They're very simple kinds of songs that talk about what it's like to live in New York City, mm -hmm. uh, a girl who's very European, you know, in her... It's about a girl you hope to meet, I gather. We, we will meet them. <laughs> They're out there. Yes, I know they are. Okay, for the moment, um, to ask a question... What is it you would like to ask mm -hmm. you? Why do you have makeup? Oh my God, what a question. <laughs> yeah. Maybe you should Why do we wear makeup? Yeah. Hmm. Why do you wear sneakers? So you don't get your feet cut. Hmm. Like that. Well, he got out of that very nicely. I think I think the only reason we ever decided to wear makeup or costumes or anything else was to try to make Kiss a special kind of band. I didn't want to look like anybody else. I didn't want to wear. I mean, if I dressed like this and walked out on stage, it wouldn't be very. It wouldn't be very exciting. Also, the makeup is another way of uh, expressing your personality. You know, clowns do it, and actors do it, and. Uh, you know, a long time ago when Indians went on on, uh, on war, when they went into war, right, witch doctors would put on makeup and dancers would put on makeup, and a lot of people still do it. They have masquerade parties and Halloween. It's just a way of, of uh, dressing up for a special event. You know, every show for us is special. Yeah, but like most things say that, uh, that's, they say that... Uh, that it's, you know, so like people will follow them until they take off their makeup. What do you mean? I didn't understand that. Like they, in the magazine, they say that 
you'll follow, like, the fans will follow you if you have the makeup until you take it off. That is sort of an extra public relations that oh, part I of your fascination that nobody of will course. Ever, you know. Oh, of course. In, in other words, you think that if we took the makeup off, people wouldn't follow us. It's possible. It's also possible that if Santa Claus stopped wearing his red outfit and uh, took the pillows away from his stomach and you found out that it was your father, you know, coming through the chimney, or it was your uncle or somebody, that uh, Santa Claus would stop being a magical kind of person. I think maybe you're right. I think maybe if Superman start, stopped wearing his costume and just dressed up like Clark Kent, maybe he wouldn't be Superman anymore. Maybe you're right. Are you a kind of modern-day clown? No, I don't think clown, because I'm not making fun of myself. No, but I meant in the, in the general context of entertaining, bringing happiness. Yeah, maybe modern-day heroes I like more, only because clowns make fun of themselves. We take, They don't take themselves seriously. We do. I mean, uh, Superman or somebody like that will never make fun of himself, even though he's dressed, dressed very strangely, you know, blue and red tights and a cape, a red cape. So, I mean, so that's very... You, it's not normal for a man to wear that. Now, that doesn't mean it's good or bad. But I don't think clowns is the word. Maybe heroes. Do you uh, have anything else? What do you think about the people who sell things without you knowing about it? What do you think about people who sell things without us knowing about it? I don't know. I, think I bet you do. I think it's, well, you know, if they, if they have a good time, I think it's, it's okay for them. I don't, and I'll tell you why I don't agree. If somebody can sell something and put our name on it, let's say you bought a T-shirt and it said Kiss on it, but we, n we never told these people that they had the right to do it. Now, let's say you take the shirt home, the T-shirt home, and it shrinks. Or let's say the Kiss falls off and you want your money back. Now, you can't go back to these people because they don't exist. They disappear. All they care about is taking your money and disappearing. But if you buy something that says Kiss on it that we authorize, we ultimately are responsible for it. So if you buy a truck and it doesn't work, you can take it back to the manufacturer and say, look, this doesn't work, and you can get your money back. And that's the most important reason for making sure that you authorize something. But the people who sell, like, these pictures and all this, what do you think? Some people in London sell pictures of you and all this. I think it's wrong. They know it's wrong. And if they... Uh, yeah, they do it for the money. And if they become very big, you know, if they be, if they do a lot of business, then our lawyers call them and they get sued. And that's life. Well, like, there's one thing called the Kiss Underground, and they said that that you joined it. Yeah, that's true. Now, see, that's a nice little thing. There are some guys from Kansas City someplace who uh, put out a little magazine all by themselves. Now, it's really not supposed to happen, except we don't see that they're money-hungry. They're not trying to rob anybody, you know, and they're not charging a lot of money for it. It's just a hobby, and so we support it. You know, we send little articles, and we call them up on the phone and say hi. But uh, the people that, and they give their address, so you can write in and say, look, I didn't get my magazine. Would you send another one? And, they, and they'll send it to you. But the people that bootleg, that's a word that means uh, somebody who puts out something. Yeah, but like, there's some bootlegs that have names. Like, uh, that's I have a, that's okay. like, I have a name that's a sum that says bootlegs. Destroys Ana destroys Anaheim and takes uh, takes on Tokyo. Yeah, those are records that came out that were not authorized. Those records are not supposed to be out there because they're not good records. If you listen to those records, they're recorded live and they sound terrible. And that's why we said that they weren't allowed to do it. But they did it, and uh, they may have been taken to court. I don't know. Because like, there's lots of people who sell them. Like, oh, I know. Oh. Kinds of people all over the place they sell them. Thousands. Like there's a, mag a French magazine there. They, they say that, uh, that there's two different. Ma one says that when you were a teacher, you liked the students, and this one they say that you quit because you hated because you couldn't control them and you hated them. No, the reason I stopped being a teacher is because I found out that I didn't want to be a teacher. I thought if I stood in front of everybody, everybody would listen to me and. Everybody would be looking at me, and that's the wrong reason to be a teacher. You should want to be a teacher because you want to convey knowledge. And I found out that I wanted to be a teacher only so that people can look at me and listen to what I was saying, and that's the wrong reason. You know, I mean, also at the end of the day, no matter how good my lesson was, nobody clapped. Nobody went, "Yay, that was a great lesson," and that's what, what I was looking for. Teach? No. Sixth grade. 
All of them. When you teach sixth grade. What did Peter leave? Did he have a... I already asked that, okay? And I think Jim Simmons has has to go in a minute or so. I know you would love to spend your whole life with him. I know that. Now, if you have been very lucky, he might have been your teacher. Is that true when you in... When, when you begin that you had empty arms on the stage to make like uh, to make it bigger yes yeah. oh yeah you had to fool, you know you had to make people believe that you were something special we couldn't afford it we didn't have any money to buy a lot of amplifiers after the, after the first record you start having a little and little more yeah but we didn't not until the fourth record did anything really big happen because did it cost so much to tour you know did like when you, when you and Paul like when you started off did you ever have Anything like, uh, did you have a name of a group like, I don't know, like Cheap Trick before they came famous, before when I had two members, they called Fuse? Yeah, I know that. That's very good. And before that, they were called Sick Man of Europe. Did you know that? No. Yes. Thank um, you very much, Steve. Now back to Rock Talk with Mitch LaFawn. There you have it, folks. Uh, Once again, I have played for you the uh, interview I did with Gene Simmons when I was 11 years old. It is uh, something to be proud of, I guess, something I just uh, can't let go of. But a big thank you to Gene for having uh, taken the time to answer those questions. And then we're going to move along to the uh, 2017 interview where Gene is talking about The Vault. But before we get to that, just uh, I want to say to Gene, to Paul... To uh, Eric Carr, Eric Singer, Bruce Kulig, Vinnie Vincent, Mark St. John, um, and I, I, don't, I don't know if I've forgotten anybody, but uh, Tommy Thayer. Uh, from the bottom of my heart, uh, just a thank you. Uh, thank you for all the music. Thank you for all the shows. Thank you for all the entertainment, whether it's uh, Gene Simmons' uh, Family Jewels or the, uh, the uh, Paul Stanley uh, live DVD where he was with the uh, Rockstar in Excess band or Rockstar Supernova band or whatever they, they were called. And and uh, thank you for all the shows, the ones I saw in, in Montreal and Toronto and Ottawa and Quebec and, and, and New York and, and Los Angeles and, and all the other places I went to, especially on the reunion tour. Uh, thank you for that reunion tour, by the way, that that reignited my passions. Uh, thank you to Eric Singer for joining the band in 92. Uh, and I've said this many times, but I was walking through the living room and much music was on TV just randomly. And I saw this Kiss video for Unholy and I was like, wow, what is this? And I saw the drummer and I was like, man, who's that guy? Uh, again, because in 92, we didn't have access to internet or Google. You, you didn't know when a band change members you would just show up and go hey that guy doesn't look familiar uh and that reignited my passions for kiss because and i've said this previously but by 1992 i was all about metallica black album and def leppard and motley Crue and bon jovi and kiss had sort of taken a back seat uh aerosmith was in the forefront for me then but kiss had taken a back seat and i saw that unholy video randomly on the on tv and I was like, whoa. And, and, I, and I went out, uh, I think the same day or maybe the next day to try to buy the album. And they're like, oh, no, it only comes out in a couple of months or it only comes out in a month. And I was like, no, 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 I, I, I need this now. How dare you? What is this putting a video on TV that, that you can't go purchase immediately? Jeez. Uh, so thank you for that. Th- thank you for everything. And uh, I, I look forward to to the last show. And, and uh, next week, if you listen to this show, you, you will hear me talk about the last show. But it is, uh, for me, 40 years almost to the day. And it's, um, it's remarkable, considering I'm only thir- 39 years old. <clears throat> but uh, anyway, uh, here we go. My final interview with Gene Simmons from September not June, September of 2017. Here is the one, the only, the mighty Gene Simmons. Hi, it's Gene Simmons. Hello, Gene. Pleasure to speak with you. And, Thank you. Uh, yes, uh, very much looking forward to the uh, the release of, of The Vault. So I just wanted to get, uh, you know, talking about that. Um, tell me about the different fan experiences that are going to be offered. Well, everybody should forget all that. There's been a lot of chatter about this, of experience 
I, I don't care about that experience thing. Here's the headline. Because I'm fortunate and blessed and the fans have given me the life that I never dreamed possible, at my cost, my cost for jets and hotels and security and insurance and all that, I'm going to fly around the world and hand deliver every single Gene Simmons vault into the sweaty palms of those who order it. The simple idea is fans go to GeneSimmonsVault.com. It'll answer all the questions. But in short, this is the largest box set of all time. It features half a century, 50 years of unreleased tracks, 150 tracks that have never been released that start 1966 to 2016. Songs I've co-written with Bob Dylan, who was kind enough to come over to my house 20 years ago, and we wrote three songs together. I also recorded the actual songwriting process where we're kidding around and playing guitar. That's in the box set. The Van Halen brothers joined me for three songs from 1978. Joe Perry from Aerosmith is on one. All the Kiss guys are on a few. I mean, it just goes on and on. The actual Gene Simmons vault is 38 pounds, right under three feet tall, under two feet wide, and literally has metal wheels and is designed to last a lifetime. It has a 50,000 word huge book with hundreds of photos for my private collection, 10 CDs. It's the monster of all box sets. I should call it Godzilla, but the name's taken. So the simple idea is there will be very few of these made, a few thousand in the world. No retail, no stores, no downloading, no, no file sharing, none of that not cloud nonsense. This is a piece of art that I take great pride in, and at my expense, I'm going to fly around the world and hand deliver it to those who purchase. Only a few thousand on earth will be made. And then the rest, you know, for those of you that can afford it and want to do extra special stuff, you can find out all the other stuff by going to GeneSimmonsVault.com. Talk to me about the writing process with, with Bob Dylan. How does, how does Gene Simmons and Bob Dylan get together? And was it for a solo album? Was it for a Kiss album? How does that come about? Well, I never write for any particular thing. I just write. You know, when you feel like it's coming on, you take the time and whatever comes out, comes out. How did Bob happen? I called up the manager and I said, hi, it's Gene Simmons. They go, oh, hello. I said, what's up? I said, I want to write with Bob. They're going, well, and then from the background, yeah, well, so he, no kinder, more generous guy, real charmer. We talked for a little bit and sure enough, within a day or two, there was an unmarked white van and Bob came to my house and we sat around and traded licks and try this chord, that chord. We talked about philosophy and how do you write songs and how do, if you can imagine, Bob Dylan is asking me how I write songs. I, you know, I wanted to just blabber and say, uh, you know, what do you, I'm not worthy. And all of that is also on the box set, the actual songwriting process. Right. Now, now other than Paul McCartney, I would imagine that sitting down with Bob Dylan's got to be sort of a fan experience for you. Well, it would be amazing for me, but even Paul McCartney buckles his knees for Bob Dylan. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, talk to me about the, those demos with uh, Eddie Van Halen, Alex Van Halen. They were, of course, for the Love Gun album. Um, why, for example, were they not included on the original Kiss box set? And is it finally nice to have them available to fans now? Well, I discovered Van Halen and playing in a club and signed them to my Man of a Thousand Faces production company, flew them to New York, produced 15 songs at Electric Lady Studios, and then when I got too busy, I tore up the contract and I said, you guys are free. I got to go back out on tour, and if I have time at the end of the tour, I'll go shopping, you know, for a deal for you, but I can't ethically, personally, hold on to you guys while I'm off on tour not doing anything. So I did the right thing. And the guys, of course, got signed right away. And in return, the brothers Van Halen were kind enough to appear on three songs that I wrote when we came back from Japan in 1978. And one of those songs was Christine 16 that we recorded about 2 a.m. in the morning. And 
none of the songs were written or recorded for any particular album. It's just I constantly wrote and recorded and still do. You const as the stuff comes out, you don't think about what you're doing now. And then when you take a look at an album, I mean, Paul's different. You know, he'll write specifically for an album. I never did that, which is why some of the material is Beatlesque or keyboard based, and some of it is real, you know, hard rock, guitars, bass, drums, that kind of stuff. And some of the tracks I play all the instruments and engineer and produce it and do all that. And some of the well, it's difficult to describe 150 never before released tracks spanning half a century. Now, for those that 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 won't be able to afford the price the price point as it's set, will there be a a sort of regular CD release two years down the road, three years down the road, it, or is it sort of it'll it'll never happen? I'd rather destroy everything. A Rolls Royce is a Rolls Royce, and it should never go be on sale. This is the only way. If somebody wants it, two thousand dollars for the largest box set of all time, and at my cost. I will fly around the world and pay for insurance and security and my hotel bills and all that, and I will personally hand-deliver every single box set to the fans. No other way of getting it, and there are only a few thousand available that will ever be made around the world. Right. Um, the band is approaching 45 years of existence, and, and by the way, uh, as a fan myself, thank you for that, because it's... It, Bands meant a great deal to me in my life. Um, why do you I think? It. You know, you really have. The, it's gone from songs that just put you in a good mood to songs that that dig you out of a hole to songs that sort of, you know, Kiss has just been more than you know. But the question is, is why do? You, how did Kiss create such a passionate fan base? Because when you go on the internet, you see people arguing about Ace is Peter is and Peter and and Bruce is better than this and. And you don't see that for the Scorpions, and you don't see that for Foreigner. Where did that passion come from for, for Kiss? I think it's uh, when you're a member of a family, and, uh, you know, dad is no longer a member of the family. I mean, he'll always be, kind of, because he's your dad. And he was asked to leave because he was a drunk or, you know, or did something wrong. You know, the kids always argue about why can't you just get back? They don't understand the dynamics. But that's what families are. You know, bands in a very real way, if you stick around for 44 years, are families. You know, often you spend more time with your bandmates than you do with your blood relatives. So, by the way, tomorrow I'm doing the benefit concert, Gene Simmons Band, my side band, in St. Paul, the proceeds going to hurricane relief for our fellow Americans in Houston on the bill will be, uh, the Gene Simmons band, Don Felder, cheap trick, the Jayhawks and Ace Fraley called me and wanted to jump up on stage and lend his support. Sure. Of course. And a few months back, Ace asked me to come over to his place and write for his next solo record. So we wrote two songs together and he's going to record those, but you know, being in a band is messy and relationships are messy, and nothing is easy. And very few people get to have a long-lasting relationship because many people are not designed to run marathons, you know? Almost anybody can run a quick spurt. Right. But but to be around 44, 45 years, you know, it's a peculiar person. I'm peculiar. Well, when, and we appreciate that. Um you know, the, the Gene Simmons solo band, Paul has obviously done stuff in the 80s, and he had Eric Singer and Bob Kulik and all this stuff. You sort of resisted or never really did it. Now you are. Sort of what took so long, and does this lead to a Gene Simmons solo album? Does this lead to more solo dates, or are these also very finite, where we're doing them, fans have wanted it, and when they're done, they're done? You know, I have no idea. All I know is I'm having the time of my life. The uh, right now, every day, I'm living, breathing, living the Gene Simmons Vault.com experience. Yes. And I can't wait to hand deliver the box sets to fans, every one of them around the world. Where are you, where are you broadcasting from? Montreal. And I would love to have uh, yes. one hand yes, delivered I, to Montreal. 
Yes, I will go to Montreal. I'm, I, it's fair to say if you live in the North Pole and one person orders uh, the box set, I'm not going to the North Pole, okay? But nearby, sure. Up in the Great White North, you bet. And I want to make sure people understand there are only a few thousand that will ever be made. There's going to be no cheaper version, no online, online, no clouds, no popcorn farts, no stores. It's only available, and it's Godzilla-sized version, and that's it. I don't ever want to see an on-sale sign at a Rolls-Royce dealership, okay? I want it to maintain its integrity. It's a Rolls-Royce. That's what it is. You like it? Buy it. You don't like it? Don't. So, yeah. in, in short, the largest box set of all time, and I described what's in it, is $2,000. I'll pay for airplane flights, hotels, insurance, security, all that stuff. Of course, the accountants and lawyers think I'm out of my mind, but I can afford it. You want it? Come and get it. First come, first served. After the supply is depleted, my guess is before January, there will be no more. But starting January, I'm taking a year off from touring, and I will fly around the world and hand deliver every single box set to the fans. 18 hours of music on top of that. Now, you, you just quickly said you're taking a year off of touring, so that means no solo dates and therefore no kiss dates. For 2018. Well, no kiss, no kiss dates, or if we have a free weekend and there's less going on, sure. But if I'm going to New Zealand and Australia, you know, you want to plan so that when you go to New Zealand, you hit Australia next and so on. And it's difficult to crisscross the world if you have, you know, one person in Russia and 100 people in South Africa. You know, you got to plan it so it makes sense. So convenience right. for the fans and for me is important because you don't want to force anybody to, hey, let's meet Saturday. Oh, I'm sorry. My daughter's having a birthday and I'm not available that day. So you got to plan this way in advance. It will get done. I'm committed to this. Don't worry about the details. I've, I get my, whatever I commit to, I get it done. Well, that is certainly something that I can agree with over 45 years. KISS has always delivered on their promises, and you and Gene, uh, you and Paul, I should say, have also always delivered on your promises. Um, I know we only have 15 minutes, so I just want to ask one, one or two last ones here. You mentioned that KISS was a family. Um, reunion talk aside, do you ever see yourself getting on stage with Bruce and Ace and, and Peter and, and just do like one song and a special concert at Madison Square Garden where they all come out and do two songs from their era? Or has that sort of ship passed? Oh, I, I mean, if you're going to do a one-off, anything's possible. In fact, Bruce Kulick and Bob Kulick are going to be on the KISS cruise. Uh, we have a wonderful lineups and we have an awful lot of fun so there's no there are no rules it's just that you know if you're on a team you want consistency you want to be able to have a guy you can count on when you pass the ball because the whole team depends on that right absolutely and so if the guy you pass the ball to is on drugs or alcohol the whole team goes down you're depending on each other all for one one for all and our original members Ace and Peter were, you know, the, the best things that ever happened to us. We couldn't have happened without them. But if you succumb, even to the cliche of cliches, the bus leaves without you. That's life. You don't get to, de to determine who and what everybody does based on your timeline. Or, uh, you know what, I want to take a year off and do nothing. Uh, no. Or I'm not healthy enough to be on stage. But you know, I mean, I think both Peter and Ace are in a great frame of mind, finally cleaned up, and that's great, because we love them and support them. But three times in and out of the band, that's enough. Yeah, and you know, as a fan also, I have to say I'm glad that I was introduced to a talent like Bruce Kulick, to a talent like Eric Singer, and of course Eric Carr, we can't forget. Uh, they've added greatly to the whole uh, music landscape, so, you know, g good for that. Um, and then we'll finish with this. People think People think in terms of uh, finite ideas. ACDC can't exist without Bon Scott. Actually, they can. And they can exist without, you know, Brian. No, actually, they can. Axel did a fine job. 
and Van Halen, who had discovered can't exist without David Lee Roth. Actually, they got bigger with Sammy Hager. So all these rules mean very little, and the fans will continue to argue with themselves, with each other. I like this. You like black. I like red. Well, that's nice. But a band is a dynamic thing. It breathes. It's alive. And it's only as good as the people in it, like any relationship, whether it's marriage or friendship, you know, a football game or a band. It's only as good as the team involved. And so you're right. If you go to GeneSimmonsVault.com and you're the first one, one of the first ones, you'll get your Gene Simmons Vault box set delivered to you by Gene Simmons, wherever the hell you are. If you come in later, that's life. And, and by the way, the, there's a book in there that I'm almost more excited about the book than the music. And I don't mean that in a disparaging way. It's just that those pictures no, and the stories, you know it's what 50, I mean? Right. There's a 50,000 word book uh, that I wrote that has hundreds of photos. And, I mean, it's, it's, you got to see it to believe it. And it literally weighs 38 pounds. I, I should have called it Godzilla, but the name is taken. Right. And, and, and if, I, if I may, I'll finish on this. Do we ever see another new Kiss album, or is that also sort of uh, a I'm passing? Sour. I'm sour. On, I am sour on the whole idea because I don't want to work my ass off. And for fans to decide to download and file share, there's no incentive for me whatsoever. Uh, Kiss is not a charity, although I give to charity a lot. But I'll decide. I suspect what you do for a living, you get paid. Of course. And I don't want anybody to determine, oh, you have enough money. You know what? I'll determine what that is. So the incentive to do a new album, I write songs all the time, but maybe the old-fashioned way of doing it, downloading or file sharing, not interested in the least. Yeah, and and I have to say I fully agree with you. I mean, you wouldn't go into a furniture store and then walk out with a chair and say, well, I feel like having it today. Well, you know, that's not how it works. Well, next week, the furniture Next week, the furniture store would be out of business. Well, that's By exactly the way, they just, they just told me that I've got to move on. My apologies. No, thank you, Gene. Great pleasure, and uh, thank you for the 45 years of, of great Kiss music and great uh, Gene Simmons uh, quotes and music and everything else. Thank you. Thank you, boss. Cheers. Bye-bye. You're listening to Rock Talk with Mitch LaFond. Rock Talk. 